Christmas is my favorite time of the year. Um, one, I'm a fat boy and I like to eat. And Christmas brings goodies. And then I'm a big fan of New Year because the 15 pounds I gained in December, I somehow can be resolute in my journey of losing it, only to gain it again. Also, on New Year's Day, I'm usually a little um, tired and uh, because I like to bring in the New Year, which I brought in. As I've got older, I, I usually try to do that in Eastern time. Uh, it's, it's much better, family, uh, if you just do that. Um, and so, but last night I, I brought in both, uh, Eastern and Central, uh, and we almost, we almost made it. Um, we almost made it to Pacific Mountain Time, but we did. So um, I'm a little tired, so it's always good to have a barista in your family. And so as we like to call them in our house, a bro-rista, who hooks me up with two shots of espresso, and I'm ready to go. You know the feeling, the excitement of a new year, a new day. You know, our culture is processing that. We are processing that together. The hope of a, a new year and a new me. Resolved on January 1st to be better, to be different, to be more. Only to find just a few days later, we, along with the vast majority of all of our culture and even around the world, fall short of our resolutions, and we find that oftentimes we don't even make it a full month. Resolving has its place. Resolving has its place in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul didn't despise resolutions. He prayed for the church of Thessalonica. Pray that God will fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by His power. The, the resolutions this morning that I want to bring attention, a prayer for this new year, is that we would have a resolution that lasts. And the resolutions that last, with God's help, they give rise to the means of grace in our lives and ultimately fulfill the purpose of Christ's will for our lives. And as we consider the spiritual condition of our lives this morning, as we consider the spiritual conditions of this fresh start, this new year, it is fitting for us to go to the Scriptures. As believers, it's not fitting for us to go anywhere else. It is not fitting for us to go and put our hope in something that is fleeting, something that is failing. The only way that we can be resolved this morning as believers, and to find ultimate fulfillment in our life is to turn to the Scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 1. In the book of Colossians, we find Paul's prayer for a brand new church and a brand new group of disciples that have just come to saving faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel is growing in their lives. Times are exciting. The energy is up. Enthusiasm is fresh in their life. 
But before these new members can even get started, the culture has infiltrated the church. The church of Colossae, we don't have time to walk through the historic relevance of what we're talking about this morning. But the, the church of Colossae became a central trade route of all of the Roman Empire. And with that, it became a melting pot of different ideologies and philosophies. This is uh, the birthplace of many ideas that Christ was prominent, but also we needed something else and He was not preeminent. So before these new members could have barely even received the gospel, Satan is already out and about plaguing these new believers with deceptive lies and false teaching. You may remember that the church of Colossae was one of the New Testament congregations that was not started by the Apostle Paul. He tells us that Epaphras had come to Colossae with the word of truth. Now very likely Epaphras had been in Ephesus during Paul's missionary journey and that he heard Paul's preaching and then he took that preaching, that message of the gospel, back to his home into Colossae, and then they came to Christ and they formed a church in the city. So now in this letter, Paul is responding to, to some of the information that has been passed on to him by Epaphras, as well as some concerns, because apparently there are these false teachers in the congregation that are confusing the church. They're doing damage to the church. These false teachers were trying to introduce these Christians to a deeper knowledge of God, a deeper experience, a higher life, teaching that by keeping certain rituals, by believing certain mystical things, that there was something greater out there. They did not deny the Lord Jesus outright. No, they just said you needed more. You needed Christ plus these rituals, plus these mystical experiences. You needed Christ plus these extra techniques in your life. Christ plus something else. So in our passage this morning that we want to look at, in verse 9 through 14, Paul gives us a prayer in response to the report that he has just heard from Epaphras. This is a pastoral prayer in response to the report that he's just heard. And this pastoral response and prayer is applicable for us even today. Paul has just thanked God for their faith. And he continues to pray for the gospel to grow in their lives so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and experience greater joy in the gospel. So let's read together Colossians chapter 1. Though our main focus is going to be in 9 through 14, we're going to start in verse 3 and read through. This is a continuation uh, of one big long passage. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. 
as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Five plus years ago, we preached through the entire book of Colossians, and it was a great, uh, great sermon series that we got to walk through. And the big idea of this passage today is the same big idea that we, we walked through five plus years ago. Is that God desires for you and I to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom so that we have the joy of spiritual power so that we bear the fruit of a spiritual life. That's the big idea of this passage. That God desires, He has a desire to fill us with knowledge of His will so that we experience joy as we walk in His power so that we bear the fruit of His life. This is the big idea of our passage this morning. So as we think about a prayer for a new year, let us look at what Paul prayed for. First, as we look at verse 9, we see that Paul prayed for the fullness of spiritual wisdom. Verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, when a person is born into God's family by faith in Christ, he is born with all that he needs for growth and maturity. This is the theme of Colossians. When we look at Colossians 2.10, you are complete in Him. We don't look, need to look for something new here. Paul warned the church here. Continue to grow, is what he's saying, in what you have received at the beginning. And Paul is saying, I am praying that you will be filled. Which means, church, we have not arrived. Yes, we have everything. We are complete in Him. We have everything that we need in Christ for life and godliness. But we are not full, which means we need to be filled. The word filled carries this idea of being fully equipped. It is often used to describe a ship that was ready for a voyage. And in this context, being filled is the truth that the believer has in Christ all he needs for life. John 1.16 says, For from his fullness 
we have all received grace upon grace. In the language of the New Testament, to be filled also means to be controlled by, to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5. It means to be controlled by the Spirit. And Paul's prayer here is that these believers might be controlled by what? By the full knowledge of God's will. So the question I have this morning is how can believers grow in the full knowledge of God's will? Well, Paul's closing words of verse 9 tell us, by all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What this means is, is as we sincerely seek God's truth, He gives us, through His Spirit, the wisdom and insight that we need. Many people ask today, and some people on this New Year's Day may say, what is God's will for my life? That is a question we ask all the time. And here, church, Paul is saying, listen, the general will for all of God's children is given clearly in the Scriptures. And the specific will of God for any one of us in our particular situations must always agree with what God has already revealed in His Word. We're not looking for a better word. We're not looking for Christ plus something. Christ has revealed His will and He's revealed how we are to walk in it. That's not an easy answer, right? It's not, not something that you can just pin on a paper on New Year's Day and say, you know what, this is God's will for my life, these are the things that I need to do. God has already revealed to us His will, and the only way that we're going to have a full knowledge of it is to hear from it. Paul prayed that they may get deeper into God's Word and thus have a greater wisdom and insight concerning God's will. Listen, this is not a prayer to know everything. This is a prayer for the church to have a skill to navigate the, all of our lives for the glory of God. When you don't know, you need to hear from God. You need to speak with God. That is the message, Paul. You want to grow in your Christian life. You want to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom. Then you need to seek God and His Word. The first step toward fullness of life is spiritual knowledge. It is growing in the will of God by knowing the Word of God. We need to be filled with the spiritual wisdom today. If you want to make a resolution, church, Paul is saying, I'm praying for you to know God's Word, to read it, to meditate on it, to write it on your heart so that you may not sin against God, you may glorify God. So Paul's prayer here is for our hearts, the hearts of this church, to echo God's desire to magnify Christ in our life, to display the fullness of Christ in our lives by seeking spiritual wisdom. 
But not only did Paul pray for the fullness of spiritual wisdom, he also prayed for the fullness of spiritual power. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. He says, Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. So it's very similar if we turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 23. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. It's very similar to what we just read. Having the eyes of our heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to, to which He has called you. What are the riches of the, His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It is God's power that strengthens us for the Christian life. And here in this passage in Colossians, Paul uses two different Greek words for power. First, he uses God's inherent power. And then he shows us God's manifested power. He is showing us that God provides us both the power within and the power without. The power we need to press in and know the character and nature of God. And then the power to, that leads us to transformed lives. But I went back to Ephesians because it's very important for us to see that the power that leads to a transformed life, a power that leads to, the, to, to fullness is not ours. It is the Lord's. We don't muster it. We can't, we can't make a resolution for it. He grants it. It's, it's our job to ask for it. It's our job to submit to it, to plead for it. But we can't muster it. The reason the Bible is going on to say repeatedly, all glory is His, all honor is His, all power is His, all majesty is His, all glory and worship is His, guess what? Because it is. He is all in all. And the grace of our Christian lives is a result of God's power at work in our lives. You know, when we think about glorious might, God's glorious might, when we think about God's glorious strength in our lives, we oftentimes 
think that God, that is revealed in great feats, right? Crossing the Red Sea, making walls of cities come crumbling down at the sound of men, right? Giant armies being completely destroyed and annihilated. But Paul is telling us of maybe something greater this morning. He's telling us that God's power is an inner power. It is an inner victory over the soul of those who believe. A power to live a life of patience, long-suffering, joyfulness, and thankfulness. A power to live a life that is like Christ, that pleases the Father. we look at this empowered life described, we see Paul said, shows us patience. The word patience means endurance when circumstances are difficult. And patience is an important characteristic of the maturing Christian life. Patience is not complacency. Patience is endurance in action. God-centered patience demands strength on the inside, not easy circumstances on the outside. So in, to endure patiently means to not be caught in surprise when things hurt us, when difficulty comes to us. Our King, our Lord, is sovereign. But that sovereignty over us does not exempt us from pain and, uh, uh, and, and suffering and difficult circumstances. But His power within us enables us to, what? Live lives that are patient. And along with patience, there is long-suffering. We need long-suffering this, this word carries the meaning of self-restraint. Patience has primarily, is primarily to do with circumstances, while long-suffering is primarily to do with people. God's power is evidence in our lives, not only in patience and long-suffering, but also in joyfulness. When circumstances are difficult, we should exhibit joyful patience. And when people are hard to live with and love, we should reveal joyful long-suffering. And Paul prayed that the church at Colossae might experience the powerful power of joyful patience and long-suffering. And church, only God's Spirit working within us can give us joy during this time. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. This is not something that we can work up in ourselves. It is something that the Spirit works in us. And the fourth evidence of God's power in our life is, is thankfulness. Ephesians 5, 18-20 tells us that Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be joyful and they will be thankful. This letter by Paul is filled with 
with thanksgiving. He gives thanks to God for this church. Paul prayed for their own thanksgiving to God. He, may, he prayed later on that they may grow in thanksgiving. As he wrote in chapter 2, verse 7, the Christian life, he prayed that they would abound with thanksgiving. He wrote in chapter 3 that thanksgiving is the evidence of the spiritual maturing believer. And church, here's something important for us to understand. Gratitude is fitting where gospel transformation has occurred. It is fitting for us to be thankful. And it is the power of God that enables us to say praise be to God. All thanksgiving to you. Even in difficult times and circumstances. And of course, the one blessing that ought to move us to constant thanksgiving is that God has made us fit for something. He has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Look at that. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Qualified, there it is. We are not living worthy lives in order to qualify for God's kingdom. We have been declared worthy in Christ. Worthy of an inheritance of light. We are already qualified. And now we are called to live for Christ. In Christ, we are qualified for something. And that something is an inheritance of light. Church, this is promised land language. But the emphasis here is, is on the brilliance of the light, not the geography of a land. This is the ultimate will of God, that we would enjoy forever the beautiful, glorious radiance of His presence. This is the inheritance of light. But to get it, we must be qualified we must be made worthy by Him. And this is the gracious gift to the King to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why we celebrate this new covenant that Jesus has made between us and God through His blood on the cross. God has qualified us for heaven. And while we are waiting for Christ to return, we enjoy... This share, this share of the spiritual inheritance that we have in Him today. Day by day, the Christian who is growing in Christ experiences the blessing of Christ. Day by day, the Christian who is growing in Christ experiences the blessing of Christ, which fuels our thanksgiving to God. Listen, we don't have to just miss out on the joy and thanksgiving of today, looking for tomorrow. We have it today. We have a share in the inheritance of light today. So Paul, Paul's prayer here, for our hearts, the hearts of this church, is to be strengthened by Christ, to display the glory of Christ through the work of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. Let me say that again. Paul's prayer for here, for our hearts, for this church, is to be strengthened by Christ, to display the glory of Christ 
through the work of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. And finally, Paul prayed for the fruit of a spiritual life. You may have thought, why did, why did we skip verse 10 as we were walking through that? Because this is a so as, right? So as. So as to walk in a manner worthy of God. How am I to do this? How, how, why is this even important? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now as we approach this new year, all of us are probably interested as Christians what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Don't we want to do that? As Christians, don't we want to honor the Lord? Aren't we interested in what it looks like to live a life that pleases Him? That's why we exist, right? As a church. We want to pursue that. We want to know what that's all about. When it comes to knowing and following God's will, we tend to overthink the who and the where and the how rather than the what of God's will. We tend to overthink. Following God's will is a call for kingdom fruit in every good work. So how do we walk in that? How do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It's interesting. Paul says pleasing. He says bearing. He says increasing. These are the ways that we walk. Two words here summarize the practicality of the Christian life. It is walking and it is working. It is walking and it is working. First, we have the wisdom of Christ, right? We have the knowledge of God. We have the transform, uh, transformed life. We have the wisdom of Christ. Then we see walking in Christ, right? And then working for Christ. But I don't want us to miss it here in verse 10. Don't miss the purpose of our walking and our working is not to make ourselves look and feel better. That's what our culture would say today. Make these New Year's resolutions so that you'll look and feel better. No, Paul says, look, here's it. The purpose of our walking and working is not for our, to make ourselves look and feel better, but to please the Lord. He is saying that we're going to please God and live lives worthy of the Lord by bearing fruit and by doing good works. Then he goes on to explain. We just read 11 and 12, right? Kind of the, the fullness of that powerful, spirit-filled life. Paul doesn't want us to get it twisted. It's not that we do good works and we fall in love with Jesus. No, we fall in love with Jesus... We fall in love with the nature and character of God. We're being filled with the spiritual wisdom of God. And it is God who works in us. It is God who creates the fruitful life. It is God that transforms life. The scriptures call us in Ephesians 4 to walk worthy of our calling. They call us in Philippians 1.27 to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. They call us in 1 Thessalonians 2.12 to walk worthy of God. 
And it's important for us to hear Paul's message here. It's not we who work for God, but it is God who works in us and through us to produce the fruit of His grace in our lives. And so Paul's prayer here is so important for us to understand. Christian service, Christian service is a result of Christian devotion. The work that we do is the outflow and overflow of a life devoted to God. A life that knows God. It is abiding in Christ. It is the abiding in Christ that produces the fruit in our lives that pleases and honors God. So God's wisdom reveals God's will. And as we walk in God's will, we will work in a way that bears the fruit of the Spirit and pleases the Lord. And as we walk and work as believers, we experience another blessing. And please don't miss this. We experience another gracious blessing. We get to know Him better and better and better. Jesus prayed in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life that you may know God. This is eternal life. All of life. This is the gracious blessing for you today. That as you are transformed by Christ, and as you He leads you to walk in a way that pleases and honors Christ. You experience the gracious blessing of knowing Him more and more and more. Don't you want to know God more today? Paul's prayer here and for our hearts, the hearts of this church, is to live in a way that accurately reflects the heart of Christ and to grow to know Christ more fully. Look back down at verse 12. Cuz in verse 12 Paul closes his prayer emphatically with a bridge. This bridge in verse 12 leads us into a section of scripture that contains more concentrated doctrine about Jesus than probably any other in the Bible. The false teachers in Colossae, they did not deny the importance of Jesus. They just sought to dethrone Him. They gave Him prominence, not preeminence. And the preeminence of Christ is challenged all around us, especially on a day like today. The world says today is about you. It's a new year. It's a new you. But the Apostle Paul leads us to focus on the foundation of Christian life and doctrine. It is that it's not about a new year, a new year. It's about Christ is all in all. He is preeminent in your life. And in verse 13 and 14, we're not going to walk through the preeminence of Christ. But I encourage you to continue to read through chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 20, all the way through 23, and meditate on that. Because in verse 13 and 14, we see Christ is the Savior. 
He delivered us from domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. In the Old Testament, we see how God delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt. How He took them into the promised land of inheritance. And in Christ, God brings us out of darkness to bring us in. Praise His name. He brought us out of bondage to bring us in to an eternal inheritance. These past tense uh, monuments of mercy in the, uh, the children of Israel remind us that we have been caught up into a redemptive narrative shaped by the past grace of Exodus and the future grace of glory. And in Him, we have been delivered. We have been transferred. We have been redeemed. And we have been forgiven. And all of this is an act of God's grace. We do not deserve it. We cannot earn it. But knowing these foundational truths makes it possible for us to have fellowship with God, to enjoy His grace, and guess what? Be able have the power to seek to do His will. Jesus Christ is preeminent in salvation. And as Paul prayed, and he goes on this, uh, this declaration of the preeminence of Christ, he is countercultural here. He's saying, these false teachers are saying Christ plus this, Christ plus this. You've got to have some greater experience than you've had before. It's a new year. It's a new you. But Paul says, no, Jesus Christ is all and in all. No other person could redeem us. No other person could forgive us. No other person could transfer us out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. So Paul's prayer here is not a new year, a new year. It is a prayer for Christ to be preeminent in your life, the Holy Spirit to empower your life, and for you to grow in the grace of knowledge of Christ and to please and find great joy in the Father. In church, to be delivered into the sovereign storyline of the Son is amazing grace that we need to celebrate. Adoption into His royal family comes with an unspeakable high calling. To be a child of Jesus is to belong to a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, so that we would proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We are the children of God who shine lights into the world. For at one time, we were in darkness, but now we are the light in the Lord. So we walk as children of light. We've been delivered from darkness for an amazing glory to come. And in between the past grace and the future grace, we walk today. Paul prayed for us. He showed us we walk as children of the King, as light in the darkness of this world. So no matter what 2023 holds, our prayer for you is not a new resolution or a new you, but rather for a life filled with patience, 
long-suffering, joy, and thanksgiving as you and I walk in Christ with hope. 2022 was a difficult year for the Boyd family. Very hard. I found great strength through the lyrics of the song that I'll share with you. To lose the, a patriarch of faith, my father, who has such gospel influence over my life, was so difficult. Andrew Peterson wrote a song, You'll Find Your Way. Your Find Your Way is a song of pretty much every faithful parent for every beloved child. Andrew looks into the future with, a, with heartache and with hope for his son's joy in the journey of a broken heart and a carried cross. He says, when I look at you, I can see the road that lies ahead. I can see the love and the sorrow. I can see bright fields of joy. Dark nights awake in a stormy bed. I want to go with you, but I can't follow. So keep to the old roads. Keep to the old roads, and you'll find your way. I know you'll be scared when you take up that cross. I know it'll hurt, because I know what it costs. I love you so much, and it's so hard to watch. But you're going to grow up. Sometimes you're going to get lost. But just go back. Go back. Go back to the ancient past. Clash your heart to the ancient mast. And hold on, whatever you do, to the hope that's taken a hold of you. And you'll find your way. Let's pray.